2: by the Saints for a touchdown!
3: he your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. will watch from 60 to practice to the sideline to the locker room following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That
2: is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! T-T-T-Taysom TD!
3: Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And
2: that is going to be a touchdown again! And guess
3: who? Mike Thomas! Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak.
2: <laughs> oh baby!
3: Welcome Inside Black and Gold, and it is here! We are on the precipice of starting the NFL Draft, and... I know that everyone has to be uh, excited about the actual day happening instead of all the talk leading up to it. Jeff, we got to hear from Mickey Loomis today, and he divulged all those secrets that we were hoping we would find out. And uh, you and I have some last-second, last-minute mock draft projections that we're going to put out before the the real deal happens on Thursday.
4: Yeah, this first segment, we're going to get into a bunch of clips. I have some audio I'm going to play for you. From Mickey Loomis today, talked for about 40 minutes, which is a long time. You know, when when you go to a lot of these press conferences, usually 20 minutes is maybe 25 and they'll cut you off. He just kept going and going and going. And we got some interesting information in terms of, you know, their philosophy on trading up, how they feel about some of the situations regarding their players. And so I'm going to play a good amount of that for you. But first, we do have to play this one bite from Mickey because he said the quiet part out loud about friend of the program, Bobby Bear, who was not in attendance.
2: Wait a minute, I don't have Bobby in the corner talking over me? What is going on?
3: Huh? We can conference him. He's still
2: sleeping. What is going on? <laughs> yep.
4: He was not there. But I'm sure he'll have something to say on Sports Talk today when he has uh, relayed that clip. <laughs> but yeah. So what we learned a lot about today was partially involving when you're at 29, you can't be guaranteed who's going to be on the board at that point. And one thing that Mickey went into is it's actually Jeff Ireland who has a formula of basically how many players, how many first round grades they have to have on players to ensure you get one of them at your draft position. And however long Jeff's been with the team, I think it's been about eight years That formula has never failed. Like if they're drafting at 11 and they need X number of players, they're willing to take at that spot to make sure you get one. Every year that has been the case. And here's what Mickey had to say about that when we got into it today.
2: I don't know that it's difficult. I mean, we have a group of of players that we think have a good chance to be available. Um, Hopefully we're right. Um, You know, Jeff's got a formula that has been... It's never failed us in terms of the number of guys we have to have in order to get one of our players. And uh, that's been pretty accurate over the years. So we have those numbers of players, and and we'd feel good about – I feel good about where, you know, the player we might get at 29 and 40, for example. After that, it's a little more of a – a little more random after that.
3: I'm sorry, you know, the formula – I'm not getting into the formula, itself, it's just like – like you, like,
2: group yeah, group like of, if you if you have, well, we pick 29. There's a percentage of players, a percentage of that that we okay. We have to have X amount of players available, and we know we'll get one of those. We don't have to have 29. We have to have less than that. And he's got a formula that's never failed. So
3: you might have to have like five guys that you like, like yeah. for this pick, or it might be three guys for another pick. Well, three. it's like
2: let's just say we're picking 11. We'd have to have nine guys and we know we're going to get one of the nine according to his formula.
0: Because you know somebody's going to take someone not. Yeah, because
2: somebody, yeah, just historically, that's, it's never, fit. you know, it's math. What's the
3: ballpark
2: number this year? Yeah, I don't know that I want to say that. I might say it. Let me think about it for a little bit.
4: He didn't say it. But I do think it's interesting when you look at, okay, the Saints, when they're going into this draft, they're going to have a certain number of players on their board. And, if that number gets low, you could see them get a little more aggressive. But what Mickey said was, basically, it's not always about the numbers, the numbers game involved there. It's usually about the order of that list. So if there's someone on that list that starts creeping down, that's when you might start seeing the Saints get more aggressive and potentially trading up. And I know someone in the comments was asking, oh, do you think the rumors of the Saints trading up are roast yeah, sure. And, I mean, who knows? But at the same time, the Saints are always capable of trading up. So I don't think that's been determined right now. I don't think the Saints have decided one way or another that they're going to trade up or not trade up. Mickey said he hadn't even talked to GMs yet this week, really. like That's going to start happening Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And so we can look at all the reports we want. We We can have all of these kind of ideas and innuendo about a trade market. At the end of the day, it's going to be happening mid-draft if it happens. You're not going to see the Saints make a decision to trade up until they see who's on the board. Probably 15, 16, 17, that's when you'll start really making decisions if you're the Saints. Mickey said he doesn't think they have the ammunition to trade up high into the draft, which I think you know is a pretty easy thing to spot. But they do very much have the ammunition to go up a few spots, maybe go up to 20, maybe go up to 18. And so I think that that's where you have to kind of figure that out.
3: Yeah, I know you were talking about trading up with this team, and it's something we've definitely see be a a move that they do. If I'm sure you've said it, you said it. If they have their target that in that range that we're talking about, in in that formula, all of a sudden drops down to that in a in a spot where hey, we can make that move and give up this year's first and the third round pick to go get them. They're gonna do it. I mean the the Quote from Rose City saying, "Are the rumors true of the Saints trading up?" You can say yes to that every season, basically, because if there is that player on the board available to them, yes, we're going to see them make a move again tomorrow on on Thursday night, and I fully expect that to happen. It's just their mo. You all have
2: eight picks, which is more than you've had in recent
3: years. Right now, we have eight picks.
2: Right now, you're <laughs> subject to What kind of latitude does that give you? Not only you have a lot more flexibility. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, yeah. It does give us some flexibility. You know, I always feel like if you have picks in the latter part of the draft, it gives you the opportunity to bump up. If you have you know a lot of picks in the top half of the draft, then it allows you to move way up if you want to. I wouldn't say we have the ammunition to move way up. We don't, but I think we do have. Um, if we decided to bump up a little bit that, you know, that opportunity, um, we'd have enough resources to do that.
4: little bump up. Yeah. And so Rose City asks here, how far, if so, do they trade up and what do you give up? I think what you're talking about there is a few picks, right? Like maybe you're trading up to 22, maybe you're trading up to 21, maybe you're trading up to 20. Either way, you're going up to get a guy. You are not trading up for the vague purposes of getting a better player. And I think that's kind of tried and true, right? When you ask Mickey about his philosophy for the draft, what he'll say is find someone you love and go get them. You you ask, okay, why won't they never trade back? And, you know, Mickey kind of explained that in, in this quote here about his draft philosophy. And a lot of it is like, you want to be going to get your guy. You don't want to be settling for whoever's available. It's, the way the Saints operate, and I think it is a little different from kind of the the more contemporary method of drafting for some maybe younger GMs, some newer GMs. But when you have a GM that's been there for 20 years, when you have a coaching staff that's really been pretty stable, even if you've changed it in the last two years, it's still the same kind of structure. You're able to do that. You're able to be consistent. And this is what he said on his kind of philosophy on trading. Well, I
2: mean, you guys have heard me say this. I I think when you have a conviction, you know, if you love somebody and you go get them, there's that's that's the the preferred um, policy, I guess, that that I like. Find somebody you love and go get them. And if you think you can get them where you're at, then you stay where you're at. Uh, I. I, I just feel like the philosophy of trading back is me, means that if you really believe in your board and you believe how it, how it's uh, uh, gonna fall, is that you're moving back to get a lesser player. That's just kind of the premise that we have. It's not to say that we wouldn't move back, but but um, you know that's the philosophy here.
4: To him, trading back is saying we will accept a lesser player rather than the player we want whereas trading up means you're going to get the player you want. And and like he can say that doesn't mean they're not going to trade back. If that's how you're viewing it, if that's your philosophy going in, it absolutely means you're not going to trade back because by doing that, you would be accepting defeat and accepting that your board is not good, the players on your board aren't good, and you don't have any options. There's a reason the Saints haven't traded back, and it's right there. Yeah, plus
3: plus to me, it's like this team has been pretty – Uh, adamant about we're not in rebuilding mode. We're trying to restock here. And while those young assets might be great for future and down the line, we're more looking for those guys
4: that can help us immediately. You know, one question that people might ask is, are there any positions where the Saints might overvalue them and take a guy early based on, you know, I think the Saints terminology would be musts versus wants versus needs. And here's what, here's what Mickey had to say on that subject.
2: I think there's some things that we'd like to have. I don't know that I would call any of them must. I think we've done a pretty good job in this offseason of taking a lot of those musts and, and turning them into
4: wants or needs
3: uh, in our vernacular. So basically addressing uh, running back and defensive tackle.
4: Yeah. So, right. Right. So like they didn't make that many moves this offseason. So I think that's a pretty good line you can draw between, okay, which players they signed and which positions they really felt needed help. And obviously defensive tackle was one of them. And now they don't feel like that's that's a must going into the draft. So they don't they're not going to tilt and take a defensive tackle just because he's there running back. Yes. Jamal Williams. I'm sure that was a must going in and they filled it. Um, Then you also got a couple of safety cornerback options, nickel options in Lonnie. Johnson and Jonathan Abram, right? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mixed up their last names. And so, yeah, like this is a team that does kind of feel like they have the pieces. And now you are supplementing that. And that's where you want to be going into the draft. I think in a lot of instances when you see really bad picks being made, it's because you're you're reaching for a guy because you feel like you need to fill a need. And the Saints never want to do that. And they don't want to leave themselves in position to do that. So I think... If you're Mickey Loomis and you go to that press conference, that's the line you always want to say: "Is we don't have any musts." And the the other question would be, Alvin Kamara, it's the elephant in the room. What's going to happen? How many games is he going to miss? And Mickey was asked whether that's going to impact how this team operates in the draft, and he basically said no. Um, but here's here's his exact point.
2: no because that's that's a short term. It's not going to influence you know who we pick. Uh, because that, that look—that's a short-term issue, and we don't know what that's going to be yet. So, yeah, am I concerned about it? Sure, certainly, because it's going to affect you know our, our team if if uh, if something happens there. But it's a temporary issue.
3: Yeah, it's funny to hear him say that. Like, because we were, all, I think, expecting a six-game suspension to be handed down as a minimum. And to me, I don't know if that's really short-term. I
4: get—I guess so—in the in the grand scheme of things. Well, it's short-term in the sense that you're drafting a player for four years. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for true. You're not going to make a decision on a guy this year because Alvin's going to miss six (laughs) games. I think that's that's why they decided to address it in free agency because that is also kind of a short-term solution for a short-term problem. Because I do think this team is committed to Alvin beyond the season. I don't think this is going to be Alvin's last season. Mm -hmm. That said, he's getting up towards the age of running backs would typically fall off. And whether or not you think that his availability is going to be a long-term problem, you do need to start adding youth at that position. So I, I do think it's interesting how you fall on that. And I have a, I have a running back in my mock draft. I know you have a running back in your mock draft. I know it's a very popular position to see the Saints address in that kind of forum, but I would be really surprised if outside of Bijan maybe falling to them at 29, if you see them go running back before the third or fourth round, I could also see them coming out of this draft with no running back and everyone being shocked. And then they bring in like three undrafted three agents. So like they always do. And we move on.
0: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
3: Well, th- um, there's something. You mentioned Bijan. Is he that kind of talent that maybe if he drops down to nineteen, twenty, that they start going hmm you know is that is that a piece to this offense that could help us put us put us over the top
4: I'm not sure there I, I think that's unlikely um, just in terms of positional value yeah. it's already hard enough to justify a running back in the first round in that sense and giving up more assets to go get a running back eh. and, and then you look at that like if you want Bijan sure but what if you were really high on some other running backs who are now getting pushed further and further down the board by the fact that he's still available, right? If Bijan is there at 29, uh, sorry, at 19, it's a yeah. pretty good chance that, you know, one of your top running backs is going to be there at 40, you know, just doing them, just the numbers alone. Right. Or if you want to trade up in the second round and go get them, you could do that. Or maybe trade into the back end of the first, if you really feel like that, I just think there's a lot of holes and in, in, there's a lot of room to grow on the defensive side of the ball that giving up assets to go get a running back and also in turn, not addressing that in the first round or maybe in the third round, if you have to give up that third round pick to go up, that's a tough sell for me. But again, yeah. Bijan is very, very good. Yeah, I totally get that. And yeah,
3: plus this year's class is so deep. And I know a lot of folks definitely holding out hope that maybe in that third-round range, they can get a, a Tajay Spears to keep him in, in yeah. Louisiana. But, yeah, I think because of the the class this year and how much running back talent you have, I, I can understand why it's hard to justify to making that move up to get the, the running back, especially when, yeah, I, I can see a lot more pressing needs because you did address that in free agency at least, um, but still, still with the d- defense and keeping that a top-tier unit should be a, a
4: priority. I also have a really tough time seeing Bijan get past the Eagles at 10. I know there's been
3: rumors too lately that the Falcons have been
4: connected with him. Yeah, that would be a very Falcons pick. It would be like the Saquon Barkley of their Giants yeah. arc, right? It would be very similar. Like the the Giants picked Evan Engram to try to make it on Eli Manning's last legs. The Falcons did it with Kyle Pitts. Neither worked out. Both are good players. Neither worked out for their team. And then they doubled down and took Saquon Barkley. (laughs) And then this would kind of be that. This would be the Falcons doing it with Kyle Pitts and then doubling down with Bijan before they really have a quarterback that they feel confident in. I would love it because it would be the worst possible pick they could make when you have guys on the board that could actually impact uh, winning for a long time rather than a guy who's probably going to be out of his prime when they're ready to compete, kind of like Saquon, right? Like you see the Giants struggling to keep Saquon under contract now that they are finally competitive. They have finally gotten to the point where it makes sense to have Saquon Barkley (laughs) and he's like out of their price range, (laughs) you know? So it would be a terrible pick for them. I'm rooting for it anyway.
3: Yeah, when you talk about too, yeah, that quarterback situation in Atlanta, you know, you mentioned Ritter. I mean, who's not to say week one we're not seeing uh, what's his name uh,
4: Heineke playing for them? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it kind of it kind of reminds you of you know not 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 really, but it does kind of feel like when Ryan Fitzpatrick went down to Tampa, and you kind of got the feeling that Tampa was kind of half in half out on Jameis, and they clearly were because they moved on just a couple years later, and then Fitzpatrick was good enough. He won a couple games. He beat the Saints in that week one game. He threw for a ton of yards. And then, you know, they were like, oh, wait, he's not that good. What are we going to do now? And they ended up lucking into Tom Brady. But it was not a good situation for them to be in. It kind of feels like the Falcons are in a similar situation now. Maybe they do believe in Desmond Ritter. Maybe he's going to be good. I just don't think you're ready to build an offense around Desmond Ritter right now. No. Until you have an idea. And I don't know if they're going to want to take a quarterback at eight. I don't know if there's going to be a quarterback to take at eight. At least not like, in the in the from a value sense, obviously there will be quarterbacks still on the board, but you know you could get into a situation where C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson are all off the board, and what are you doing? So anyway, we're not here to talk about the Falcons draft, but I I just I have a hard time seeing Bijan getting past ten. A couple other things that Mickey said that I think were interesting. And I think he might have said this last year. I, I'd have to go back, but when the Saints are like thinking about past trades. They actually have a book. Mickey described it as an encyclopedia at this point of all of the trades, all of the draft trades that have occurred over the past dozen years. And every year he goes through it and he says, okay, that was a win for this team. That was a loss for this team. More so in like, okay, did it work out? Did you maximize that value? Was it probably an overpay? And that kind of informs his decision-making going forward. We've already heard him say that he considers last year's trade, both of them, to have been successful for the Saints. Obviously, you'll have to see how Trevor Penning pans out, how the number 10 pick pans out for the Eagles this year. But like, I don't think that he's counting that as a loss for the Saints in any way, even though that ended up sending the number 10 pick to the Eagles.
3: No, and I think he mentioned, too, obviously, dra- grading trades or players you know, three years after the fact even of, of happening. I would love to slide a little shot a whiskey down Mickey's way and ask him about that the year they moved up to get Davenport obviously and and get his take on what do you think overall
4: did you guys win that deal yeah I, I would I would guess that he would say they did not but then again like you traded the 27 pick and the next year's pick ended up being bad right yeah so it wasn't it sounds a lot worse in retrospect of saying oh you spent two first to go get get Marcus but no one ever looks back and says, okay, what did they do with those picks? And I don't like—I don't know if they could have been that much better. Honestly, the thing that stinks about the Marcus Davenport trade, I would have still made the trade. I think the trade was good. Going from 27 to 14, the value makes sense. You have to hit the pick, though. And what made that trade bad was the pick. If they had ended up with Jair Alexander and you got to pair Marshawn Lattimore and Jair Alexander for four years, five years, man, that would have been this, a steal of a trade. I got like goosebumps thinking about that. Actually, right. And, and there was others, you know, like Tremaine Edmonds, picks 16 through 20 of that draft were all Pro Bowl players in on their rookie deals, and the Saints ended up with you know Marcus Davenport at 14. Anyway, I, I went through and graded those uh, for the last mock draft, and like that's what really stands out to me is like I probably make that trade again. I'm just not going up after Marcus. I'm going up after pretty much anybody else because oh. <laughs> there was so many Pro Bowlers. Anyway, there's one other note, and it's really just a kind of a draft philosophy thing that I, I just enjoy getting kind of this insight into their process because you don't get a lot of it. Like it's it's very hidden. It's under lock and key. They want to keep it in-house so that they don't get traded in front of like they did with Pat Mahomes and and Ruben Foster. And it's when you're looking at a player who's not a scheme fit, they call it like 9-0. And so they're going to grade everybody. On a scale of what round they're going to be in, right? Are you a second-round prospect? Are you a third-round prospect? But there's inevitably going to be players that don't fit what the Saints do, and what they'll do is so this guy's a two or a second rounder, and we'll call him a two nine zero, and that means like okay, maybe he is a linebacker or, or like a like an edge rusher prospect, but he's more of a three four outside linebacker. The Saints run a four three, doesn't really work, but he's a still a really good quality player. You're not going to draft him in the second round, but if you have a second round grade on a guy who might be a scheme fit and you're staring at him in the fourth round, you might still take him and try to make him fit because he's that talented of a player. And I just thought it was interesting. Like that's an interesting way to look at it because when you're talking about like a big board of prospects, when you're talking about, okay, these are all my first round prospects. Well, when you're the saints and you're doing that and you're saying, this guy doesn't fit, you know, maybe this is a zone corner and we're more of a press man corner team, corner defense, and you're giving him a nine Oh, they, they basically come out of that list. So that's why you might only have, even if you have 32 first round grade prospects, you might only have 22 first round grade prospects that you actually would draft in the first round. And so that's why I thought, you know, we, we're kind of coming full circle with that whole Jeff Ireland formula. It's like, how do you get to that point? What number do you have to be at? And what draft slot do you have to be at to guarantee you get one? And that's what changes the dynamic is, you know, BJ O'Jalari, for example. I love B.J. O'Jolari. I think he's a great player. He does not make sense for the Saints. It, but, you know, if he drops late second round, early third round, maybe he does make sense for the Saints. And you right. can say, hey, you know, he's about 260 right now. We want him to be closer to about 280. Maybe maybe we can, we can make that work, right? Maybe he is someone that we can put in multiple roles. So I, I just thought that was an interesting insight into their process. The whole thing with, you know, mentioning Jeff Ireland's formula,
3: Anytime afterwards, anytime he kept mentioning Jeff, though, I'm like, what? what is,
4: uh, you know, Noack feeding him over there? Yeah, Jeff. Good old Jeff. Let's answer one question here, uh, it's not really draft-related, but I'd rather get into this segment than the next segment. Ooh, Pelican's know says Washington will not pick up Chase Young's fifth-year option, so it's time for the Saints to sign him immediately. It's not really how it works. He's in the fourth year of his contract. They're not picking up his fifth-year option, which will be next season, and so the Saints can't go sign him. They could technically trade for him. Someone else mentioned that, oh, maybe the Saints could trade for him. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that this is the time of year you're bringing in a guy who, you know, we're talking about injury issues with Marcus Davenport. Chase Young's yeah. right in that boat too. For sure. Um, he was taken a year after Marcus Davenport, right? You picked up Marcus's fifth-year option. They did not pick up Chase's. But that doesn't mean they're going to let him go. It's worth noting that Mickey was also asked about Caesar Ruiz and whether they were going to pick up his fifth-year option, and he said that they have made a decision on whether they're going to do it or not, they are not ready to disclose it. So we don't know what that decision is, but it's not always about whether you want that player to stay. Sometimes it's about money, right? Like a fifth-year option is not cheap for a rookie. It's an average if I want to say, the top 10 salaries at the position. It might be less than that. But either way, you're paying a premium to keep that player around. At the guard position, at the defensive end position, those salaries are, are are high. So you're not really getting a discount. And in the case of Caesar Ruiz, it might be more fiscally sensible to just sign him to an extension. So I think that's what you're trying to figure out. But we'll find that out with Caesar in the next couple of days. And I would be very surprised if the if Washington is not trying to retain Chase Young, a guy they spent what, the number two overall pick on, past this season. Definitely someone who is uh You know, you talk about a physical specimen
3: there with Chase Young. Unfortunate deal with him for sure with the injuries. Yeah, I I don't know how much you would invest as a team considering his past. He's going to have to go through this season, though, obviously with Washington. And I guess we'll see what kind of year he has. If he has one closer to when he was healthy, he's going to get paid big bucks, obviously, at that position.
4: Yeah, I think it's sim- it's a similar position to what the Saints were in with Marcus Davenport. and They decided to pick up his fifth year option. Yeah, and then you know they he was offered a contract that was probably more than they were willing to stomach. If you're the if you're Washington and you and you don't have quite as crowded of a cap table, you probably match that deal for Minnesota, right? Like it, it's worth it to you to keep him in, and, and hopefully you build that up. It wasn't worth it to the Saints, but at the same time. Will he have a market like that? I don't know. I'm just like I don't think that them not picking up his fifth year option really has anything to do with whether they want to keep him or not. The Giants didn't pick up Daniel Jones' fifth year option. It ended up costing them (laughs) because they ended up paying him more (laughs) than they would have on the fifth year option. If anything, it 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 just motivates Chase Young more for this season. Exactly. I'll leave you with this, and it's a nine second quote from Mickey Loomis, but I think it is very telling of. You know, he was willing to talk about running back. He was willing to talk about, oh, I think this position is good in this draft and this position, is, you know, for what reason and what why. He was asked about the defensive line group, and this was his, this was his answer.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a good group. Yeah, I think it's a good group. I mean, I, I don't want to give away anything, so I'm not going to talk about individuals, but, I you know, I think this is a good group.
3: Very vague and blah and Yeah, I'm not going to give you anything.
4: It's like me asking my kid how his day at school went. Yeah, it was good. Well, I mean, no, it'd be like if you asked your kid it's, if he's dating anybody. <laughs> and he would be like, no, I don't want to tell you about that because then you'll have this information you can use it against me. And that's, yeah, I think, it, what's happening there is Mickey. Right, like the D-line's great, yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. Right, because I think if you – there's a reason. You know, it's not a coincidence that everybody who's anybody is saying, the Saints need defensive linemen. <laughs> it's because they do. And it's also a draft where there is a lot of value at the defensive line spot. So yeah, I would be surprised. I think it would be an upset if the Saints don't come away with a defensive lineman in probably at 29, definitely in their first two picks. And I think that type of answer is like Mickey kind of giving you a nod and saying, yeah, that's definitely true.
3: Yeah, I mean, depending on, you know, who's going to be up there for them to to make that move on is going to be interesting. I know there's been... A lot of buzz about Kalaja Kansi leading up to this draft. I just don't know, obviously, where how high he's gonna be taken. Uh, a lot of knock on him has
4: been an undersized defensive tackle, but man, that dude's been sure productive. For sure, and let's wrap up this segment and come back, and we're gonna get into Steve's mock draft. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, he's Steve Geller. Mock draft to City coming up. We just heard from Mickey Loomis. Stick around for that.